Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's been brought up a few times, and it's good to get his take on a few things and, and build on his experiences. So today's guest is a provincial and national champion in club. He played for the Crush Volleyball Club. He's won many provincial and national championships on the beach. And as a professional, he's played in over 91 beach events, finishing in the top 10 42 times, including winning the Sydney event, finishing second in Edmonton. And he's also got a couple of youth world championship medals. Please welcome to the show, Grant O'Gorman. Grant, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm excited to talk to you finally. Yeah, this is great. Uh, long awaited. I'm glad we could catch you. I mean, the, the situation's not great. I hear you're quarantining, coming home from the king of the court, but uh, I'm glad the timing worked out that, you know, you're you're looking for something to do and our, our schedule's matched up. Yeah, it's my last day of quarantine. I'm released today, so I'm excited for that. I'm happy I could join you today, Josh. Sweet, man. So what we usually do is just try to establish a, a timeline early on. So with you being an RH King guy and playing for Crush, like growing up in that Scarborough area, were you always a volleyball guy or was there any other sports you were interested in growing up? I liked to play all sports as a kid. <clears throat> I really liked playing soccer until, until middle school. Uh, I thought I was pretty good at that. Until uh, one year, my team went 1-15. I thought, mm, maybe this sport isn't for me. <laughs> Uh, I also liked cross-country running, uh, playing basketball, and uh, baseball. Nice, nice. So when you got to high school, did Dave Chambers have a big influence on you or any of the players at your school? Like, What made you choose to invest in volleyball when you really started to excel at it? Uh, when I was in grade 8, I had uh, a coach, uh, Mr. War, and he took us to the provincials uh, for, for middle schools. And we ended up coming second. I thought, wow, like this is pretty good. And he knew John May, uh, who ran Crush Volleyball Club. And he talked to him, asked if we could all try out the team. And uh, next year we all tried out, which was grade nine. And uh, I just loved volleyball since then. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the timing with Crush because I think you were kind of in that in-between group like Kyle Fick was, right? Where you would play up on Garrett's team, but also be the older guy when Reed's team would play up. Is that correct? Yeah, so I started in 15 and under, and John had a son, Garrett, who was 16 under, and Reed was 14 under, so I was in between. Nice, nice. And what was your impression of John May? Like, uh, obviously, we've talked about him on the, on the show a lot, and he's been a guest, but uh, did you enjoy his coaching style and kind of his approach to the game? Because there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of mental side to it, or he's not big on, on getting into the technical details about, you know, your, your feet need to face this way and your hands need to do this. It's kind of about, you know, having expectations and belief in yourself and really executing like the mental side of the game, right? Yeah. When I first met him, I didn't know what to think of him. He was very jokey, but then sometimes serious. And I would try to joke that it would be in a serious moment. Uh, it was, he was very tough to read, but as time went on, uh, I really grew to love him and, uh, he was a great mentor for me in volleyball and in And how would you describe the practices there? Because I, I, I've mentioned to Garrett when he was on the show and a few other guys, like the practices, the, the drills seem a little bit simple. Even when we had Michael Denton on the show, we described that like John would underhand serve at you guys, but you'd have to get like this extreme number of perfect passes in a row. Like I think it was usually 50 or higher. And there was never really a, a downtime in practice. So even though the drill wasn't super complex, like the execution and even being dialed in as like a 15-year-old was, was pretty well demanded, right? Gosh, it's quite hard to remember like the balls that I did club, but I remember passing balls over and over and over, and I I really loved bumping and passing. It was my best skill, uh, so I was very keen on doing that and doing it properly. 
and putting it right to where my setter wanted it. If I had a different setter, I'd put it to a different place with ultimate precision. Uh, I really thrived on that focus of trying to accomplish a tough goal. And what did you think of like the reputation of Crush? Like when you went to a tournament, did you enjoy like the expectations that you guys were there to, to win the tournament? Like it wasn't going to be, Oh, see how it goes. Or I hope we make semis. Like you guys were pretty well gold or nothing. Right. So did that help you transition to a professional volleyball player? Cause you were just used to dealing with, you know, expectations and pressure and kind of having everybody know who you were. I never really thought about everyone knowing who we were in our reputation. It was more about for myself, me passing well, as well as I could and trying to have basically a perfect day of passes. That's all I thought about in digs. So I, I don't think it transitions too much besides the fact that I could focus on one thing when I needed to. Nice, nice. And then just looking back at your timeline, you also got to train at uh, the Elite Beach Club that had Hernan and, and John Child and Dana Cook and some other top coaches. When you started training at that club, did you know what Youth World Championships were? Like, I, I remember you and Aaron going and, and getting through the qualifier and taking a ninth, but I'm just wondering, when you look back at that time, did you know what Youth Worlds was? Did you have a goal of a top 10 finish? Like, what was that whole experience like? Because I think you were, you were quite young. You were still in high school, right? Yeah, so that was in... Uh... 2010, I was playing 17 and under club volleyball, and uh, Roman Coker, he knew Aaron Nussbaum and I were playing together on the beach, and he said, hey, I sent you guys up for this under-19 tryout camp or whatever to go to the Worlds. Uh, we never heard of it. I said, yeah, sounds good. Uh, we did the uh, selection camp, which I think was like a week long, and uh, we got picked to go. So Aaron and I went as Canada 2 to Portugal. And we played three games in the qualifier. We won all three. And then we played pool, and we won three of those. So we got to round two, which is nine. And then we ended up losing to the team that got second. But we had no expectation. We had no idea what to expect. Uh, we could barely hit over a net that was eight feet in deep sand. So I don't know. It was all just random. <laughs> and when you look back, did that really spark your interest in professional beach volleyball? Because obviously going to a championship and seeing a center court and playing against other countries, like it's it's pretty impressive, right? But did that goal kind of click for you or when did it happen for you that you wanted to represent Canada at the highest level? Well, I think once I got back from that trip and we were decently successful and they asked if we wanted to train full-time in the winter, I was like, wow, like I can get some money out of this i can get better at volleyball i can travel the world uh, and at that time people started to recognize oh that guy came top 10 in the world like he's pretty legit he must be pretty serious and i think that rubbed off onto me as you mentioned you were you were quite young at that time so you were still going back between indoor and beach but i think you you even committed to play indoor at university right you were a york guy but i think around first year is that when you made the decision to go full-time beach uh, yeah, I wanted to go beach full-time earlier than that, but uh, I was talking to the head coach of the national team at the time, Leonard, Leonard and he, uh, he said that I wouldn't make the national team that year, so it made financial sense for me to go play indoor and get uh, money so I can pay for my school. And so I decided to go in 2012 to, to play at York University as libero. And then in December, I, th I found out that I made the national team halfway through the season so I thought well I'm already on the national team maybe I should just go that way instead of playing indoor and that's what I did 
And was Beach always going to be on your radar? Because obviously picking a school like York, like it's a great school, but it's the, technically the closest school to the Beach full-time training center, right? So was it always in the back of your mind that you wanted to be like as close to possible as Beach, so that that was going to be like your big avenue to turn volleyball into a career? My university decision was based off, I was thinking either McMaster, but that would be more for indoor because uh, all my crush teammates were there, some, or some of them were going there and they had a good team. U of T, Toronto, and York because it was close to beach. And then also my mom was in Toronto and I wanted to stay close to her because she wasn't uh, fully healthy at the time. Okay. Okay. And when you got an opportunity to train beach full time, what was that experience like? Because Leonard really deserves credit because when we had guests like Mike Sleen on the show, beach carding wasn't like a demanded full-time carding thing. It was basically a lot of results, right? So when Leonard came in and established a full-time training center and the, the program went a little bit younger with obviously guys like you and Garrett and Melissa committing to full-time training and Schachter and the list goes on and on. What was that experience like? Was it a lot of skill-based stuff at the start or, or what was the overall experience like switching from indoor to beach and, and really diving in that it, it's going to be all year round. It's going to be full-time training and you're going to think about beach every day, basically. Well, What's funny about, like, after I got back from that first Worlds, and Angie asked me if I wanted to go full-time beach, or sort of full-time beach, like, to train in the winter, I said yes. And so there was only one group training at the time, which was the the senior team with, like, Ben, Martin, Maverick, Christian, some came, and some other guys. They only had five guys come. I would get a text in the middle of, middle of the day at high school saying, hey, we only have five, we need a sixth. So I would then bust a down to you from Scarborough, which would take a couple hours. I would leave school early, train with those guys, and then come back home and, and maybe go to club practice after. So I was I was fully committed in that last year of high school. <laughs> that's that's super interesting. So did you ever have a moment of either intimidation or like a wow moment that you're like, wow, I'm on the court with these these guys who have represented Canada at like world championships or higher, things like that? Or did you just feel like, oh, sweet, I get to play beach today and you totally belonged with that group and you could hang and, and contribute to the drill and practice and everything? I think uh, at the time, those guys, you know, they weren't doing the best in the world tour. Uh, I just found them like to be really good at volleyball compared to me and really tall. So it was, it was fun. I got to play at the men's level instead of at like the junior level. But they were all super nice to me, very welcoming. It was, it was great. Now, one thing that, that stands out to people who have known you for a while is you and a few other guys like Aaron, especially, you hit the weights pretty hard. So what was your training process like off the court? Because you've obviously put on a lot of positive weight since you were, say, like a 16-year-old. But what made you want to commit to that side of your training and really, you know, try to become more physical and more ready for like the men's game at the, the FIB level. Uh, what year are you talking about? Well, I remember you in 16, you and you were similar to my build and then meeting you again is like a 20 year old and you've been absolutely jacked. Right. And if Dallas were here, I'm sure he'd tell the story where you guys were at a new year's party. And I think you left early cause you wanted to train the next day and go lift. Right. So I'm thinking must've been around grade 11, 12 and your first year of university, like you got really committed to the weight room. I remember in that last year of high school, we had this gym class called Early Morning Gym. You got to pick between me and you had to, you had to work out before school in the weight room uh, one day and then go for a run on the other days. I remember telling the teacher, I said, hey, I don't need to run. I'm a volleyball player. I'm to work out on great pace. So that's what I did. And uh, I mapped it out perfectly. So 
I had enough rest for every time, but just just enough, never too long of rest. And yeah, it worked well. I guess through puberty helps and. Nice, nice. And I'm just looking at your FIB profile. So it looks like you would do the youth world stuff and you would play obviously some Narsikas and stuff. But when you made the jump to the world tour, it looks like you started playing a lot of events, right? Like even in 2013, you played five Narsikas and you played a youth world. Like you, you were kind of taking a jump pretty early. And to see that you've already played over 90 events as a 26 year old, what made you make the jump here? Was it just finding the right partner and then you started going to more and more international events and you wanted to play as much as possible? Or when did you flip the switch that you needed to go compete more and really be on the world stage? I remember it was, uh, Norseka was San Pedro in Guatemala after we got fifth or so. I think it was our second Norseka maybe. We talked to each other, hey, is this like actually what we want to do? Do we want to be full-time volleyball players? And we agreed with Jay and we were going to be fully committed and we wrote down a list of things we had to get better at, and we decided that the money we earn from volleyball goes back into volleyball. We don't waste it on anything, uh, and we just kept on investing in ourselves. And I guess that's how you play so many tournaments: is just keep going, investing in yourself, paying the money. Now, did you and Sam click right off the bat? Because you you've played thirty six events with him, and like you said, it was a nice mix of Norsecas and then you got obviously into the world tour and started making main draws and things like that. Like, did you guys have similar goals? Cause he's a little bit older than you, but I feel like when he left university of Queens, he made the commitment to beach full time, even though he had played his like five years at university. Right. So even though there was an age gap, did you guys have the exact same goals after that conversation you had? Well, I think after Sam finished at Queens, he went to Western to do his master's in physio. And uh, he didn't really play for a couple of years, only in the summers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But we, yes, he is older than me, but on the development scale, we were basically in the, the same spot. Like we both had some skills, both had some physicality, both hadn't played too much, but we played a little bit. So we were basically on the same timeline. So it worked out very well. And we started succeeding with each other. And we had never succeeded with other people, so it was, yeah, it was good. If you had to look back on that 2013 year, how did you find the balance of training with Aaron and having the goal of doing well at a youth Worlds, but also playing with Pedlo on international events and obviously doing well at like provincials and things like that? Like, how did you get through a season of playing with two high level partners? At the time, if you did well at the Worlds, it could actually increase your points. So I think if I made semis, then Sam and I would increase our points, so we decided it was good for me to go. Aaron and I, we won the tryouts. I don't think we trained together before that. And then the week before we went to the Worlds, I trained with Aaron for a week, and we played two tournaments one weekend, I think. So we had one week together. (laughs) And finished second at a World Championship, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, the World Championships are pretty random. With results, like you get a good draw, bad draw, like kids, kids that age don't know how to deal with heat and different strategies. So it's it's pretty random, unlike the world tour. Right, right. And when you got to the world tour, did you feel more comfortable because you had already achieved so much and winning some youth medals? Like, uh, I'm just looking at the list, and you've played Gudo, you've played Cantor Losiak, you've played Dressler. Like, when you got to the World Tour, were you looking around me like, okay, I know who that guy is, I've played against that guy, like, you, you recognize this guy? Like, is there a big chance for you uh, going from, like, a youth world championship to the to the main draw in the FIB? Yeah, I mean, the big difference is the size of the block and the intelligence of the players. A team that 
could win the junior junior world championships could be a qualifier team at the men's stage. That's because they can't match up against some teams. But it, it, it did help me because I knew I could beat some of these guys, but I didn't think too much about it. And you had mentioned Angie was a part of the process and kind of offering you that chance to be full-time beach and Leonard was the coach. And obviously under Leonard's system, it was pretty structured in a sense that there was going to be meetings and there was going to be debriefs and stuff like that. Is that, is that something you enjoyed as an athlete? Cause you just kind of touched on it there that dealing with heat or how to properly like fuel your body for events. Was that stuff that you were learning on the fly at these youth world championships or were coaches able to kind of help script that? So when you went to a major event, you already knew how to do all the little things that go into competing at that level. It was very scripted by Henry and, couple other Team Ontario coaches. I remember our first world, I was just sitting out in the sun, trying to get a tan, and she said, listen, Grant, like, volleyball's a game of interest. If you're a little bit more tired, then maybe you hit the net with your hit, and then you lose the game. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I got out of the sun, and I treated myself well, and that stuff is very beneficial. So kind of just looking again at your BBB profile and some of the teams you played, did you ever have like a wow moment that you're on the world tour? Like I'm just looking ahead and in 2013, you're still quite young and you and Pedlo have a draw that you play Allison and Emmanuel. You play Ben and Kane from Canada here and you play John Sidon, uh, John Hyden, excuse me, and Nick Lucena. Like, did you ever get to tour and look around and be like, Oh, that's so-and-so. And did you ever get intimidated or did you feel like you belonged on tour right away? Actually, yeah. That first tournament in Long Beach was at 2013. We played Allison and, Manuel, who had just uh, got second at the Olympics. And I think Ali Song blocked me like three times in a row to start the match. Um, and I was like, wow, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we ended up taking a set off there. And I was like, wow, like these guys are really good, but like we're, we're right there with them already. And uh, it was inspiring. But uh, that whole first year, whenever I got in the elevator and saw how tall these guys were and how big and I, I knew who they all were. They didn't know me. It was pretty surreal. And what helped you eventually settle in? Like, obviously, you mentioned you got blocked a few times by Allison, but did taking that set really make you belong on tour, but also help convince you that you had to figure things out and go back to training? Like, what, what is your process to not be intimidating, but feel like you belong? Because in, in speaking to other athletes in Canada, it can take even like a full season or longer for an athlete to really feel like they belong on the world tour. That definitely gave us belief that we could beat anyone if you can take a set off someone you can beat them in a match so we really believed that we just thought we needed more opportunities and that's what we did we just kept investing in ourselves and going to tournaments i also think uh getting aaron Cadu to be our coach he helped us get a better belief system believe in ourselves you don't necessarily have to get the results before you believe you can believe before you get the results and so we tried to implement that as well now, did Aaron style, did you already have a big belief in it because you had a chance to work with him in club volleyball and you know what it's about? Because, uh, again, to name drop, we've had Melissa on the show and she talks about a lot of people do wait for that result to kind of convince them that they do have the confidence. But to believe in yourself when the, the proof's not in the pudding and you're not getting the results you want, like, how did you find that you were going to keep inching ahead? Like, was it just the, the belief that Aaron knew what he was talking about? He was a credible source and he believed in you? Or what are some little things athletes can do to help build their confidence before the results start coming? I just believed to myself the whole time. I had overcome so much uh, in volleyball and in life that I just didn't see it not happening. Uh, and also, the progression was there; like it was, it was showing itself. Um, and 
know. I, I just believed. I had to. Or else he shouldn't be playing. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, uh, again, I'm just looking at your, your BVV info page, and it's pretty amazing that as soon as you decided to go full-time on the tour, like you're playing 10 or more events every year. So how did you plan that just from a physical standpoint? Because those are a lot of events for anybody to go through, but how did you get comfortable being on the road for like six weeks at a time or, or going on these big swings that you would play? Like even in 2016, you played in 18 tournaments, which is, that's kind of two seasons for some players, right? Yeah, I I really enjoyed traveling. I felt like my life was more on the road than it was at home, and I felt better competing and striving for something than I did just training for something. And uh, I, I was just very comfortable with hotel life and the routine of being on tour, and I, I enjoyed it. Now, if you could give us an example, how do you and Ben, or how did you and Sam like to approach that where – you go to this event, you play a lot of days in a row, and then as soon as it's over, you have to start traveling to the next one, right? So how did you find time to either get a lift in or get a practice in or, or be ready for the next competition? Like, what were you doing to keep your body in shape to play these these tournaments week after week, right? Yeah, at the beginning, uh, sometimes we'd lose in the qualifiers, so we'd have a full week to train. So that was an issue. The issue happens more when you're winning and playing more matches. Uh, and then with that, you just try to recover in between and if you're winning and you don't get to work out, that's totally fine. Now, did you ever have any uncomfortable moments, again, just pulling from this show, where you lose in the qualifier? Were you a guy who was in a rush to leave the venue because it's just uncomfortable and kind of a, a bad mood to stay around in a tournament where you're not a part of it? Or did you make a point that you were going to stay there, you were going to pay for your own hotel and, and find these teams to train with? Uh, it, it depends on like which you're talking about. At the beginning, we couldn't afford to change our flight. And we also realized that it was a good training opportunity for us to play against other teams that lost in the qualifier. But now it, it changes a little depending on the calendar and what's back to back and how often uh, we get to see family and things like that. Nice, nice. And, and I know we're jumping around a little bit, but one event I really wanted to pick your brain off of was the Olympic qualifier event. And, and looking at Sochi, you and Sam went 10-0 and in sets played. So going to an event of that scale and with the, the outside expectations on it, do you remember what preparation felt like for that event or, or what the draw felt like? Because you guys really ran the table and, and played at a super high level. So what, what went into that event? And do you remember what your mindset was going through the draw of that event? Uh, I remember Sam and I were starting to figure it out, starting to get decent results, starting to be competitive with every team on tour. And I remember the Sochi event was actually a weaker event because it didn't have anyone that was already qualified for the Olympics in it. So we knew we had a chance to beat every single team. Uh, it didn't matter what the draw was. I remember that they didn't tell us the draw before we went to sleep the night before. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to sleep. I don't really care. And Sam always had to figure out the draw first <laughs> before he went to bed. But we, we weren't very nervous at all. We, we felt confident. Uh, we had just lost to Cuba, which we thought was a much stronger team than anyone at Sochi. But we also had Josh and Sam, who were a great team, as our teammates. So we felt we were the strongest country there. One match that kind of sticks out in my mind is you guys beat Stoyanovsky and Yarizutsin two straight and then had to play them in the golden set. So what was it like playing Russia in Russia again with like the what was on the line at this event? You should ask Sam because he won that game for us. I think he got like eight blocks. I really just side out here and there um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think the crowd was that into it I think they already knew their other team was the 
the gold medal team. Um, yeah, well, I, I felt fine. Sam did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it fair to say you don't really get rattled by the outside expectations? Because for you guys to go ten and zero, like, how did you guys? decide as team Canada who was going to play in these golden sets because like I said you guys are winning them but you're winning them 15-6 you're winning them 15-11 like those are pressure cooker games and it looks like you guys were pretty comfortable right yeah Josh and Sam were or the A team there because they were ranked higher than us I think and uh, Steve just chose us and Josh and Sam and Leonard said yeah that's fine and we just took it nice playing play hot yeah, so obviously that's got to be a boost in confidence. Do you remember the North Bay event? Like, did you guys prepare for that the same way you would for any other tournament, or did that one come with like an extra distraction on it? Uh, it felt pretty normal. It was uh, we had to fly from Sochi to Toronto and then go basically go straight to North Bay and, and play the guys we just competed with. Uh, and I, I thought it went pretty well, except for the last I don't know, eight points or so where I didn't play the best and. Got stopped, but it was uh, it was it was done well, and it didn't seem like there was too much uh, other stuff outside of just playing for me. Man, this is this is awesome just to hear how calm and level headed you are about everything. So, I was wondering if you could share with me and the listeners what your debrief process is. So, when you go through an Olympic qualifier like that and you don't get the spot. Do you do you ever go back and watch the game tape? Do you keep a journal? Like, how do you reflect on this so you can continue to get better and it doesn't become this thing that just kind of anchors you down? Well, I was it was tough because as soon as we lost that, you know, we uh, we had to watch like the other guys go to the Olympics and see how they did, and uh, I don't know. It was just like a very tough tough time. It was tough to debrief. We ended up going to Klagenfurt and getting a 25th and then I think we went, went to Long Beach and got a ninth. And at that time, like after we got that ninth in Long Beach, I think we were Canada 2 and we were going to qualify for the World Championships the following year. and like Things were still going to be okay. Uh, and then the World Tour Finals were in Toronto and we thought we would get the berth because we were the second Canadian team. And then they didn't give it to us. And then that's when it all went to shit or sorry <laughs> went then wrongly yeah if it if it's not too personal or private just let us know for some of our younger listeners that they can navigate through this but when you are switching a beach partner how do you go through that because i think that's one of the challenges of the canadian system is it's pretty demanding that you're a professional that the guy you just played with and broke up with you're in the same training environment and you might be across the net from instantly right so how did you like to approach that situation where they have a new partner, you have a new partner, and, and now you're on to like bigger and better things with your new guy, right? I was super happy with like how Sam and I were doing. Like, Unfortunately, we didn't qualify for the Olympics, uh, but he decided that he was better to go with Schachter. And I understood because Schachter was a great player too. Um, but it was, yeah, it was tough. We had like a talk with our coach and together, and we decided that's what we're going to do. And we would try to support each other and help each other. And that was it. And then how do you like to go into practices? Like, is it, you're, you're so focused on your own performance and your new team that did it ever become a distraction for you? Cause I think you've showed a, a lot of maturity and like I said, level headedness that you can still go to Downsview and battle it out with these guys, right? Like there, was there any tricks you used or you're just so confident in your own process and you want to keep getting better that it, it didn't really factor into any of your prep or anything? Well, I want to be the best guy. 
whatever that means. I want to be the best guy at practice. I want to be a decent guy off the court after practice. Like I just want to be the best. I, I'm, I'm sort of mean and, and tough on the court. Uh, I don't take it from anyone else. And I'm just fierce, but like once we get off the court, it's totally fine. Like you're my buddies. Thanks for training with me, but I want to beat you. Yeah, could you think back to the origin of that? Because again, Chelino Garrett's episode, he really enjoyed when you were at training, and you could you could be fiery, you guys could yell it out, you could be fighting over these points. But as soon as practice was over, it was like, hey man, that was a great session. Like let's do it again tomorrow. Where sometimes in training it doesn't reach that point or it boils over so much that if you're the aggressive guy or the intense guy like you're the bad dude in practice and you've taken it too far so i'm wondering how did you find the balance that you were going to bring everything you got if another guy didn't feel like working that's fine you were just going to kick their butt in the drill like how did you prepare to do this every single day at practice and bring the same level i think it comes down to focusing on your own craft um just like you talked about the passing with john may doing 50 in a row perfectly sort of the same thing it doesn't matter if that guy's a little upset at me like i can still score and still dig you and it doesn't matter as long as i'm winning and and performing well was there ever a point that you look back and be like you you had a grudge against somebody or something did float over between thursday and friday's practice or as soon as you were off the court like you were totally fine and that that was practice and that was going to be something different practice and didn't really matter i know cam Whelan would annoy me a lot just because he would lie about the calls <laughs> But uh, but then I, we would have, we would carpool home after, so it didn't really matter. But I remember after Sam and I broke up, like I really wanted to beat him and Sam to prove that I was better than Schachter, and that that was like something that allowed me to train a little bit harder and be more determined, and it motivated me. Now, if you were coaching a team or working with younger athletes, is is your way you think? replicable like do you think a younger kid could pull this off and say hey like try to win the drill do everything you need to win the drill and if you think that guy touched it or that ball was in you need to speak up and fight for that point like is there anything that's special about you or as long as you're you're fighting and trying to get better like that that can work as a club team or a beach team or for basically at any level i think i think every individual is totally different based off life experience and volleyball experience I've had a lot of hard things happen to me in my life outside of volleyball. And I think that allows me to be very competitive and then see volleyball as just a small aspect of my life and it doesn't really matter. So I'm allowed to go full hard into the court and be that person I want to be. And then off the court, I can just say, yeah, that's volleyball. It's done for today. Uh, I'm still friendly and nice to these people. Yeah. So I think everyone is different. I wouldn't, you you gotta find your own path. Nice, nice. And would you say it's fair to say your attitude and the way you prepare for practice is the same you are in a game? Like through one of my coaching courses, we're learning about this key performance state. And if you can make them the same, then it's going to serve you better. But for guys who are like lazy and half speed in practice, it's really hard and almost impossible to switch it on for a game, right? So with you bringing this attitude and intensity to practice, is that the same you are on on competition day at any of the tournaments you've been to? Yeah, it's actually something I struggle a little bit with is like, I try to be very prepared and how much is too prepared and how much is neurotic, right? Um, all that matters is when you're on the court, you compete hard. If you do that, then it should go well. It doesn't matter how many stretches or how much water you drank in the morning or how much you slept. Just go and, and play. And play with whatever you have on that day. Play as hard as you can. 
Oh, nice. That's an interesting point. So you're not a big guy that you're you're stuck in a routine that you need to wake up at the same time and drink a full bottle of water or do something to activate. Like you kind of take each day on its own. I do see the benefit in doing all that stuff, uh, and I try to do it. But if I don't do something, I'm okay with it. Nice. Because I am an athlete. I can adapt. I can adjust. I can perform whenever you need me to. It doesn't matter if I got seven hours or eight hours of sleep. Nice. I think that that goes back to your earlier point that you got used to the hotel life. So there wasn't like a certain thing you had to eat or like you said, a certain amount of sleep that you were going to prepare, but it didn't have to be right down to the minute of all the little things you wanted to do, like a, a superstition almost, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I tried to eat well and sleep well and do all the appropriate things and take care of my body. But uh, if it didn't happen for whatever reason, say I'm too tired after a flight, then it doesn't happen. Just to jump ahead once more in your career, I actually got to chat with you at the beach because you were still a Toronto guy during this time, but we had talked and you were going into beach nationals and, and you made just a, a pretty subtle comment to me that you mentioned if Kane did choose to go to the U S which was the big rumor at the time that you wanted to be prepared to go move out and be Ben's partner, which for, for people unaware that involved you like leaving the province and having to move to the West coast. So when did that become a possibility in your mind and how did you not let that become a distraction because obviously you were still playing in tournaments you were trying to qualify for world championships with your partner mike uh you had played norsecas and i think you played nationals with fido but how did you find as a beach volleyball player balancing i'm in the moment i'm trying to win this tournament but if i get the call like me and ben are ready and i'm going to make a run at it with my new partner yeah i, I think i found out about ben about ben and Kim about after the world championships uh and then the week after the world's back, Mike and I broke up. We just, we weren't gelling well. Uh, we were playing well, but just, we were playing okay, but our system just wasn't working for whatever reason. And I decided I would go a different route. I didn't know what that would be. And I, I knew Ben or Kane might be a possibility. I just wasn't sure. So it was just after the world's. And you remember what that first practice was like with Ben? Like, was obviously he was one of the guys who was at the court when you got that call from high school to go train with the seniors, but. Were you guys friendly on tour? Were you aware of him? Like, obviously, Ben's a pretty quiet guy, right? So, when you get the call to match up with him with a partner, is there a getting to know each other phase, or were you guys taking off right from the first day? Uh, it's funny you ask that. Um, Sam and I actually stayed at Ben's house in California for four days once. Uh, I remember we bought him dinner one time, and he just didn't say much. And then I remember in 2016, I had a dinner with him, just Ben just because no one else was there at the hotel and we just ate, didn't speak. And then I said, okay, good night. All right. Good night. <laughs> so I hadn't really spoken to him. I didn't really know the guy at all. I just knew he was pretty good at volleyball. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so funny that I just think Ben's so sure of himself that he doesn't need to be like the center of attention. He doesn't need to be loud. And like you said, yeah. he can go a full dinner without talking. Right. <laughs> well, what's funny is when I was driving across the country, I was like super excited. I was changing provinces, I was playing with a really talented guy, I was changing my life. I'm texting, I'm like, hey man, I'm like a day and a half away. He wasn't responding. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> so how was everything with that experience? Like how did you find your new training partners? Obviously you're you hired Christian, I think, as your new coach, new partner. Like was it all a lot at once or how did you find the ability to settle in with with the, everything that was going on with your new situation? I found it pretty easy uh ben knew a lot of guys out here and christian was pretty dedicated to us and uh we trained for about a month before we went to sydney 
Oh, this is another funny story. Christian said, okay, you guys need to get to know each other. So when you get to Australia, you need to do one fun thing outside of volleyball. So Ben and I went on a mandate to the, uh, the aquarium in Sydney. <laughs> That's so pretty sweet. Did you guys talk the whole time? Was there actually some banter going back and forth? Uh, we talked a little bit, but he actually brought a book. And I was like, oh, okay. awesome and just for our listeners benefit like what would you say ben's personality is on the court because obviously he he does show emotion he does get intense and he's he's super competitive guy like just because you're shy off the court doesn't mean you can't be a killer on the court right so how did you find the volleyball side of things even though like it was a little a little quiet at times off the court uh ben's ben's not shy he's not a shy guy he's a he's a calculated guy Ben's a, a fierce, uh, great competitor. He likes. He's a he's a thinker. He's a gamer. He loves playing games on and off the court. And he's a very positive partner. I can only recall one time he's ever been mad at me, um, which is unbelievable for three years of playing together. Nice. Do you feel like sharing what that moment was on the on the air here? <laughs> yeah, there was a. We had just lost the world championships and got eliminated, and I. I did not want to. Some guys sort of pushed me a bit to sign his jersey. I didn't want to at the time. And, um, and then after he said, can we hold ourselves to a higher standard even when we lose? I, I took that to heart. Nice. Yeah, thanks for sharing that one. Awesome. So you mentioned your first tournament with Sydney, and I think people need to realize that even though I think that was a one-star or maybe a two-star, but on the FIV right now, those are not easy tournaments. Like, looking at the draw, you just played friend of the show, Max, from Australia, and he was playing with Ferguson at that tournament. Uh, you played Miles Evans and Kalinski. You played uh, A and Crew, I think, from France in the final. Like, even though it was labeled a one-star, that's still a very competitive tournament. Did you guys have expectations going in, or was that really just feeling out if this partnership was going to work? Uh, it, it was a two-star tournament. And uh, if we got first, then it would have gave us similar points to a ninth at a five-star. So we knew there was something on the line. And it was also to feel out if we could play with each other. And uh, and we won, so I guess we can. Nice, nice. And then it was kind of a short turnaround, right? Because I think that tournament was later in the year. And then you guys chose to go to the Netherlands in the new year. So... What was your training environment like? I think Vancouver has that indoor training facility, right? So were you guys training right through the holiday break there because you had some big goals? Because uh, for whatever reason, in 2018, there were some big tournaments right out of the gate where I think November was this Australia two-star, but then you went to the La Hague uh, indoor one, you went to Fort Lauderdale, you went to Doha. Like your, your season really started in a hurry. So do you remember what your prep was going into those events? Yeah, I remember uh, we were just training at Six Pack in Vancouver, the indoor facility. And we also hosted a tournament there with uh, like four teams, I think. And we played a yeah, we played a tournament. And then we went to Netherlands. It was pretty simple. We I think we spent a couple. I took a couple of days off for Christmas, but it went all the way through. Now we've had a super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, on the show twice, and and one thing I find fascinating about his prep is he doesn't really get bogged down in thinking of the World Tour and cycles and just the Olympics. Like he's a guy who wants to compete every single time he's at a tournament. Do you share that philosophy? Like, do you like to break the the tournament into cycles for the Olympics, or are you, if it's an off year, say I don't know, two thousand eighteen, like, are you just looking forward to being on the podium and getting the best results you can? I think it, uh, it really depends on what your individual goals are and what your team goals are. Um, I think the Olympics were, were big for me. Um, 
but now, you know, they could be canceled or whatever. Like I, I can't just make every choice, every act I do based off the Olympics. So I like Ben's point of trying to prepare your best for each individual tournament and trying to do your best. And if you do well enough there, then you should go to the Olympics. So we align in that sense. Nice. Nice. And that was very interesting to hear about your, your planning to mention that like a two star going there with the expectations to win and the points and how could that, it could help your ranking. I'm wondering for your own prep, how do you find the balance of going from those events or say finishing second at the Edmonton three star and playing in front of hopefully family and friends there in Canada, but also sometimes being in a qualifier of say like a major series event, like how do you find the swings of being on world tour where sometimes you're a favorite, sometimes you're in a qualifier and you got a battle. Like, do you ever get used to this, the, the format and the ranking and the way we do things on the world tour? Yeah, I, I just really liked it. I think uh, it allows teams to move up and down and uh, you have to play well in the day or else you, don't get the points and the more points you get, the more secure you are in the main draw. So it's a very good system I find. And it's also fair for every, every team. Nice. And when you guys were doing your seasonal plan, was Edmonton going to be super important for you? Like with obviously with Ben's family being from Alberta, was that something? Cause I know, I remember there was a tough choice, right? Like to come to the Edmonton three star, not only did you have to leave Europe, but I think you also had to choose a three star over a four star in Portugal the same week, right? Yeah. I think the three star and the four stars are basically the same points. Um, just because it only goes down by 30 points, every spot for a three star and goes down 40 for every spot in a four star so it goes down quicker in four stars um but we for sure wanted to play in canada like we've i've only got to play in quebec in 2011 and i, I want yeah i wanted to play in front of my friends and some family and, and support volleyball in canada yeah that reminds me how old were you in quebec were you still in high school at that tournament um yeah i was 16 or 17 and you played with Felipe. I think you had to go through a country quota, and then you lost a tough one in three in the qualifier. Is that correct? Yeah, we lost to uh, Mexico. How was it going through a country quota? Because obviously with Canada hosting, everyone gets fired up and wants to play in that event. But I understand that tournament was pretty competitive, right? Like, Nezzy played with Pedlo, and there was a few other really good teams, right? Yeah, I mean, they're good now. But back then, we all weren't very good. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was that competitive. <laughs> Nice. No, that was just a fun event to look back and see how many guys got a chance to compete in that. And even younger guys, like I remember Jake McNeil and Andrew Richards were in the crowd for that one. And I think they watched every game possible. So it was just a, a cool well, thing for Canadian volleyball. It inspires people. And now, you know, Jake's on the national team and, and Andrew, I don't know where he is, but he's a pretty good player too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and hopefully, you know, the weather was a little tough in Edmonton, but hopefully they creates that ripple effect that more and more people get inspired and exposed to volleyball at the highest level. Yeah, exactly. And it shows kids that we can actually win too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one thing that I, I, I don't think it's talked about, uh, I'd love to hear your impression on this. What was it like leaving Edmonton and trying to get to Vienna? Because I understand, did you guys arrive a day before the qualifier or the day of? Like that travel was pretty gnarly because you went so deep into the Edmonton tournament, right? So you got the dates a little mixed up because uh, I'm actually a little frustrated about this, but. Uh, we actually went to Tokyo from Edmonton uh, because Ed, Edric had said we had to go to Tokyo to keep our funding, uh, be, even though we weren't going to make it in time. 
Oh, okay. Sorry, not Vienna, but Tokyo was the tournament right after I made. Okay. Yeah, so we, we couldn't get there in time because we made the finals. And instead of just flying to Vienna, they t- he told us that we had to go to Tokyo, show up, and pull out the tournament, and then fly to Vienna. Um, so I was a little bitter about that, but got some air miles, I guess. <laughs> Unbelievable. So just logistically, did you have to use a medical, or how did you defend pulling out of Tokyo? Did you get fined for that event as well for pulling out late? Uh, I can't remember. Wow, that's that's <laughs> yeah. gnarly travel to you know celebrate a, a podium finish in Edmonton in front of family and friends. And did you have to get a plane on a plane that night, or was it at least the next day? Gosh, I really I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's fascinating. The little things that beach volleyball players go through to get into these events. <laughs> oh, I know that crazy. And then there was one more switch, I believe, that happened that uh. Friend of the show, Simone Factor-Boutin. I think you and him went to a Norseka. Is that correct? So, uh, again, yeah. with you with a late partner switch, and this obviously wasn't a breakup with Ben or anything. This was just a, a chance to go to a Norseka with a different guy. Did he come join you in Vancouver? Or, again, how did you prepare to play these last-minute tournaments with another partner? Yeah, so, the Norseka Championships is a, it's a fun tournament to go to. Uh, it's always at the end of the year in a nice, warm place. And you, can, you can't hurt your points. You can only basically gain points. So, I like to play. Um, actually increased our team's points, but Ben was couldn't really go because it's uh, something he was hurt somewhere. But uh, so I picked up Simone to go, and he came out to Vancouver for a week, and we trained with Ben coaching us, and then uh, we went to Dominican, and we got fourth. Awesome, man. Awesome. It's great to hear about your career. And obviously, you hinted that there's some stuff off the court that's helped you become the player you are. And I'm wondering, is that how you're so sure of yourself and i just want to bring up one great point of advice you gave to uh, dallas keith here and he mentioned he was really nervous to go to this tournament and basically you pulled him aside and said listen man like at the end of the day nobody cares like nobody cares if you're going to win the tournament or nobody cares if you're going to lose in the qualifier like so for you to be nervous and exposing yourself to all these outside opinions just do what you want to do and compete and do your best right like at the end of the day nobody really cares so where did that come through in your career? How did you kind of convince yourself that that's the way to deal with, you know, external pressures and, and what people are going to say about you? Like, when did you start to learn this stuff and really apply it to your career? I think, you know, I had both my parents pass away when I was young. When my dad, when I was in grade nine, my mom, when I was 20. And that really taught me that volleyball doesn't really matter. Like, there's other things in life that are way bigger. And you can take volleyball very seriously, and that's great. But to be super nervous and anxious about going to a tournament, uh, there's there's bigger things. You know, you're going to a tournament to have fun and to compete and to do your best. It's a good thing you're going to a tournament. It's not a a negative. And I just, yeah, I I just think there's no need to worry about what other people think about your results. It's it's your life. Do what you want to do. Wow, man, that's that's awesome, and I, I guess this leads into my next question. Uh, super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon's organized this great league, the NBVL. You actually played in it, so you being a national team guy, was there guys who really wanted to be across the net from you, or they they want to say they got a block on great Grant O'Gorman? Like, how did you deal with that chance? Where you just you like you said, you have so much fun playing volleyball that when a league opportunity comes up like this, like you're going to sign up. That you're never intimidated or afraid that oh, I'm the national team guy and I should be doing this or I should be doing that. That it was just a chance for you to play with some some great guys in a great league, right? 
Yeah, Ben's been doing a great job with MBVL in Vancouver and in Calgary. And he asked me to play, and I thought about it, and I thought it would be a good idea. And the expectation from what I hear is that everyone thought I would win every single game and just totally dominate. But uh, I know that, that I don't I don't care what those expectations are. I just want to play well and, and do what I can do. And, and when we got to the league first game we it went it was a tough game but we won but then no one was serving me the ball and I, and I was playing with Jared Krause he's a really good player and I was like I'm not like a, an x-factor guy that can just demolish balls on two and do all these amazing things like I'm just like a side out guy I usually get served every ball like, <laughs> I'm not someone to be totally feared um so a little bit of the fun was taking it out in that but uh the league is great, and I really didn't care what people thought. I, I wanted to play and compete in my off season, and it was a great opportunity to grow as a player and a person. Amazing, man. Awesome. Awesome. And the one other thing I had in my notes here is anyone who had a chance to watch King of the Court obviously saw that uh, you and Ben were, were big in supporting Movember. You had it on your shorts, and Ben grew an awesome mustache. Uh, you've had an experience with that. I wondered if you could just share with the listeners about what you, again, another thing thrown your way that you've had to overcome, but how you've come out the other side and still competing at the highest level and still a great person. I was wondering if you could just share you know, your experience with men's health and the, the cancer you went through. Yeah, so in in April or in April I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um and I had to get surgery to get it removed, my, my right testicle and that went well and now I am am healthy. I'm get, being monitored but uh it was a pretty big scare and you know I I don't know if I would have found it if COVID hadn't happened, so I'm very thankful for COVID, and I know it sounds awful, but it really helped me. Yeah, true. What do you mean by that? Because you had a chance to slow down, and you actually got a chance to kind of just hang out and maybe feel some symptoms that you wouldn't have maybe ignored if you were on world tour and traveling, that you would have, you know, as athletes, we put pain aside, right? So you would have just been focused on competition and battle through it, or is that what you mean by COVID was kind of the chance to catch this? Yeah, well, I I uh, I didn't really feel sick. I had some symptoms, but it didn't impact me playing, so I thought I was okay. Um, and I, when I got home from our California trip, I got an ultrasound, and that's when we found it out. And after the ultrasound, I got surgery three weeks later. Wow. Yeah, because I was going to say, you're quite young, and to be in the health you are, obviously, you wouldn't be somebody screened for this. So I, I'm glad they were able to find it, even though it kind of took a unique situation to get there, right? Yeah, well, testicular cancer affects um, males, normally younger males, and uh, it can happen to anyone. It's not based off your habits, really. It's just it's sort of random. Wow, awesome. Well, I'm glad you could come on the show and share your experience because uh, I mentioned it is quite scary, but to see you already back competing at the King of the Court, and obviously if, if the World Tour gets back up and running, you and Ben will be right in there trying to qualify for Tokyo. But a few things up in the air, but glad to see you've competed as much as you have and be back training soon, which is great because uh, quarantine ends today, so I'm quite excited for you. Yeah, I'm going to hit the gym and get a practice on Tuesday and 
it's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a fun life. Awesome. And is there anyone you can give a shout out to from your training group? Like Alex Russell has been an awesome addition here. And I understand you gave him kind of a gentle push to really pursue this. And obviously, like you mentioned Kraus, and there's just a few other guys and, and Whisker and just the great community and kids there. So what can you say about that environment and how they've helped you train at the highest level? Because I think a pessimist would say, oh, to, to be at the top of the world, you need to be training with the best. But you guys are training against people who have day jobs who can still push you and find a way to make you better, right? The guys here are really great and they are excited to come to practice with us. And uh, we actually had a king of the court of our own and we had five other teams show up. Um, maybe not COVID friendly, but uh, it just shows how many guys are keen to, to train and go hard with us. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's it's great what you and Ben are able to accomplish like kind of outside of the volleyball center here in Toronto and, and able to stay competitive and, and just kind of spotlight that great community that kids have. Cause I think Van opens one of the best events and we, we've talked in, in length here and we'll have to get them on the show, but what Cliver has been able to do in that community. So it's good to show that beach volleyball is, is awesome. Not, not only here in Ontario, but I, I think Vancouver's great. And there, there's all these spots all over Canada, right? Yeah. It would be great if we could expand the national team and get some funding for athletes in Calgary and Vancouver and, and other cities because I think we're missing out on a lot of athletes that just don't see the pathway. Uh, and if there's a pathway handed to them, like it, it was for me, then maybe they might be where I am. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned, Alex Russell, you gave him the gentle push, but I was at a Cliver and, and I saw Dan Caverly play in person for the first time. And I thought this guy is probably the best player not on the national team right now. And it's, it's too bad we didn't have a process or a policy in place to get him involved earlier when he was maybe still considering volleyball at a professional level. Well, he's still playing pro. He plays in Japan sometimes, so he's he's still doing it. Yeah, he's awesome. I just wish he was, you know, on the beach national team. But yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of guys like that. But uh, to each their own. I'm not saying he made the poor decision. I just I look back and think, like, man, I wish we would have had a chance at this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, sweet man. One tradition we're trying to make on the show here is just to tell a, a funny or unique story that volleyball's provided. So with you, you know, competing internationally as a high school guy, I imagine there's been something unique thrown your way that uh, you can leave us with a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, um, there's a lot of stories over the past 10 years. Some aren't appropriate for your show. But <laughs> of course. Uh, one, that, one that's sort of funny is uh, Ben and I were at the World Championships uh, last year, and we had just beat the U.S. On, on the stadium court, and I wasn't feeling very good. I was feeling sick. I didn't know if it was I drank too much or too much water or, or whatever. Um, and then the next day, I just start throwing up and, and pooping my pants in the hotel and like really bad, very sick. Uh, and we had a day off before the next game. Um, ben went to practice. I didn't go. Uh, I'm staying in the hotel with Isabella, my fiance. And then I, I remember farting one time and I just pooped my pants. And we had to play, we had to play that later that day. And so I don't know what to do. I've, I've never had issues this bad on tour in 10 years. So I, I go up to the referee and I said, Hey, um, I might poop my pants <laughs> and he's, before the game. And he said, Oh man, don't be nervous. It'll be okay. Like, no, no. Like I'm really sick. Like I brought extra underwear. <laughs> it, like, if, if I do this, can I take a medical time out? Like what's, what's the ruling? <laughs> and he said yeah that's that's okay and i end up we end up playing the game and and we won against argentina but that's just a 
funny interaction with the refs. Don't be nervous. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Probably thought you were messing with them. I was like, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. I might have to take yeah. a medical for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was bad. See, that's funny because as an onlooker on the outside, I'm just thinking like, okay, you beat Phil and Nick. You had a really tough, awesome match against the Dutch guys. Like thinking like everything's coming together at World Championships, not knowing that you were sick as a dog in the hotel room during that event. Yeah, and this one, like if we lost, I think we were out. If we won, then we won the pool. So it was a pretty important game. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember every time after we scored a point, I just like, Ben gave me a hug and I just leaned on him, just into his chest, just, just pulled me up. (laughs) oh this is awesome one of the benefits of the show is we get to see behind the curtain every once in a while so you guys had a a solid result at worlds there and like i said i had no idea you were suffering so much so it's good to get your details on that side of it yeah that was one of the worst sicknesses i've ever had besides cancer oh man well buddy thanks for taking the time like i said we've wanted to get you on the show for a while and your name's been brought up so it's been great to hear your side of things and everything you're doing so Best of luck. Obviously, we don't have a schedule yet, but we'll look forward to seeing you compete on the world stage sometime soon. Thanks, Josh. You're doing a, a great job for the volleyball community. Uh, you're always looking out for all the athletes, and I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you too. <laughs>